0: Thank you, Lynn. And uh, as you know, during uh, the sermon at the 1030 Assembly, you can take your mask off. We just ask that you put them back on when we get ready to sing at the end of the sermon. And while you're doing that, uh, just on behalf of leadership, I want to say thank you for all of the ways that you were generous this last weekend and through this week with Holiday Harvest uh, our goal was to, uh, to serve 570 families in this community. You more than surpassed that amount. I know many of you are still uh, looking for ways to give. And again, 100% of all of the money that we raise for Holiday Harvest will go to our care ministry. And As you know, there are a lot of folk in our community. Uh, our church is made up of membership of about five counties. And we have uh, opportunity from time to time to hear of folk. Uh, you know, in some, some different faraway places, uh, not just close to the church building, but across the region which our church family membership is made up. And all of that money that you contributed last week in the special collection is going to serve people in this community. Thank you for all that, uh, that were here giving the, 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 uh, the boxes to people yesterday. Uh, for those that were making delivery to everyone who was involved, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, now, today we come to the end of the series on the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians 5 that I've been calling Untwisted. When sin entered the world, human beings became twisted, they became warped, they became dented, they became unruly, and we have not, under our own power, under our own steam, been able to reverse the curse of Genesis chapter 3. But the good news, and in fact it's not really good news, it's great news, is that God has not let go of creation, and He's not let go of His creatures. And even though we are twisted, God loves to untwist what is twisted. That has been the theme statement of Galatians 5, this series that we're calling Untwisted on the Fruit of the Spirit. And this is why God puts His Spirit in us at conversion. God the Spirit comes into our lives as a power, as a help, To transform our lives into the kind of human beings that we were always meant to be, but we could never achieve on our own. And the evidence is everywhere that we're not we're not making any progress in this area on our own. We can build a better toaster, we can build a better microwave, we can build a better plane, but we've not been able to build a better human heart. And so one of the ways that God helps us to understand what our life looks like in His kingdom, what life the disciple of Jesus, in the kingdom of God, looks like, is to give us metaphors. And you know what a metaphor is. A metaphor not only helps us to understand something that's complex by giving us something simple, but a metaphor is given to us in order to make us stop. To make us stop and reflect and to think. And one of the metaphors that God gives us to think about what life in the kingdom of God is all about is a tree. There are times in Scripture... Where God says, I want you to think of your life as if you're a tree. Think about Psalm 1. The psalm begins with, with uh, you know, blessed is the man whose meditation is upon Torah, or the law, of the, God, uh, the law of the Lord, both day and night he meditates on it. And because that's true, that person is like a what? It's like a what? Tree that is planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, its leaf never withers, and whatever they put their hand to, whatever they do, prospers and so the point of what david God is saying through David is that you, you know your life in the kingdom of God looks like a tree that's planted by streams of water, the roots of that tree are so embedded into what it is that that tree needs to to survive and to flourish that this tree never ever withers, it always is bearing fruit another place where this happens is on the other side of the bible it's in the gospel of matthew chapter 12 where jesus is talking about what it means to follow him to be his disciple and he says again using the metaphor of the tree he says make the tree good and the fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad but know this the tree will be recognized by its fruit now, the point that he's trying to make is, whatever is happening inside of you, it's going to come out. Whatever is in you is going to be seen. One of, uh, one of our members, Shane West, is very fond of saying uh, to those of us that are his friends, he says, remember, what's down in the well is going to come up in the bucket. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He says, you're, going to, you're a tree, and if the inside is good, you'll bear good fruit. If the tree is bad, if you as a tree are bad, it'll be bad fruit. And he's saying, because he used the word make, the verb make, he is giving humans this incredibly important decision to make. A, will you make the tree good, the inside good, and the fruit will be good? Or B, will you make the tree bad and the fruit bad? Well, kind of an easy answer, right? I mean, all of us in here, we're going to say, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. That's what we want. The big question is, how do you make a tree bear good fruit? How do you do that? If you want to make the tree bad, do nothing. What is the difference between a vice and a virtue? What is the difference between a virtue and a vice? A vice, you don't have to do anything. A vice happens as part of the default mode of a human being. A virtue, on the other hand, requires help. And so when you become a disciple of Jesus, you receive The gift of the Holy Spirit. That's in the very first sermon that was preached on Pentecost, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You will receive the forgiveness of your sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you become a disciple of Jesus, you receive God the Spirit as a gift. And as you walk with the Spirit, that is, as you're walking with the Spirit and making the inside of the tree good... As you walk with the Spirit, which means cooperating with God the Spirit, living in agreement with God the Spirit, traveling in the same direction as God the Spirit, leaning into God the Spirit, as you do this, the Spirit begins to transform you inside out. And as that tree in the metaphors gets everything it needs to grow and to bear fruit, We, like the tree, as we walk with the Spirit, transform from the inside out, begin to bear the fruit, the good fruit of the Spirit. Now, imagine yourself as a tree, Holy Spirit in you, in cooperation, walking together. The Spirit is transforming your life from the inside out. You, as a tree, begin to bear fruit, singular. But to help us to understand what that fruit looks like, he describes it with these nine virtues. That fruit is love, and joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. Now, this morning, as we end this series, we want to think about the character of the fruit of the Spirit that looks like self-control. Now, let's think about that for just a minute. Paul, as you know, if you read through Galatians 5, has made this really big point that the fruit of the Spirit is the result of walking with the Spirit. The Spirit, he says to the church in in Ephesians chapter 3, is this this power that comes into your life that strengthens your inner person. So Paul has made this big point that the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit, is the result of walking with the Spirit. So why at the very end does he add self-control? seems a little contradictory. But the word translated self-control is an old word, and it's a word that has a rich background in Greek philosophy. In the Greek philosophical mind, the life of virtue required a person to bring their desires under control. In other words, and we would agree with this because we see it every day, a person wrecked their life or ruined their life, or they became twisted by their desires being out of control. How many lives do we know? How many people have we encountered through our years that became ruined? That became twisted because their desires, their desires became unmanageable. Now, ironically, when we get to the Bible, this word "self-control" only appears three times in the Christian scriptures. But as you know, as you read through the, the, the New Testament. Over and over, Scripture talks about it. I mean, just over and over, of the danger of abandoning our life to unbridled, unmanaged passions and desires. For instance, Paul is going to say to the church, which was a place that was really having to do some battle with this, he says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and the word flesh here is not used in a very positive sense, but, but the, the, uh, the immoral desires, the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, the life that looks like it is so liberated and so sophisticated, and it's, it's on the cutting edge of what it means to be a human being, in reality is an enslaved life. In fact, we could say it this way. People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. In fact, that's not, that's not original with me. That's original with Peter. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2 people are enslaved to whatever has mastered them. Friends, d- Jesus did not empty himself of all of the vestiges of glory to become a man like us. And not just a man, but a servant, and not just a servant but an obedient servant, and not just obedient, but obedient to death, and not just any death, but death on a cross. To save us in order for us to live a defeated life. Jesus did not save you to live a defeated life. And this final virtue, self-control, is the product of walking with the Spirit. It is not a self-generated virtue I think that a better translation than self-control is control of self. The eighth virtue is a Holy Spirit-generated control of self, that is, passions and desires, and here's why. Control of self is essential to surviving in an out-of-control world. Control of self is essential to surviving an out-of-control world. When when we in our actions and decisions are leaning into the Spirit and cooperating with the Spirit of God, there is a control of self that begins to develop and, and a life that is not out of control, even though everything around us at times is amok. So what are those actions? I want to give I'll just give you three this morning. There is a proverb in the Hebrew Scriptures that says like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Let me say it again. Like a city whose walls are, are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, walls around a city were there to protect the people who lived inside of them. I mean, if you go to Israel today, you can, or some of the ancient cities, you can see these walls. As you walk through Jerusalem, not only do you see the wall around the Temple Mount, but you see the 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 remnants of a lot of walls that were built before and during the time of Jesus. And so these walls were built around the city to protect the people inside of them from the enemies on the outside. An enemy would come, they'd open up the gates, the alarm would be sounded, the, the citizens whose lives were being threatened would come fleeing into the city, the gates would shut, and they would find safety. But if those walls fell into disrepair or they became broken down, or they became weakened, or at some point in the middle of a battle, they were breached, the people inside the walls were endangered. And this is why the ancient people, the the people living inside of these walls and around these walls, were constantly thinking about the walls. There's a lot of dangers on the outside. This is uh, the, the stopgap between them and us. And that's why they were always thinking about the walls, working on the walls, inspecting the walls, making sure that they were living in, in, behind walls that were safe for them. Now here are three practical actions that you can take in cooperation with God's Spirit to protect your life in an out-of-control world. Do you want a Spirit-generated control of self Avoid temptations. We are our worst enemy at times. So, Somebody has an addiction to donuts. Avoid the temptation by never going again into a Krispy Kreme. Makes sense, right? Or if it's ice cream, don't go into Baskin Robbins. Or if it's barbecue, don't go into a barbecue station. You know what's more important than barbecue or donuts or ice cream? Your life. The life that you live, the only life on this planet in this life, that is more important than any of those things. Now, would you agree with the statement that sometimes we're our own worst enemy? Yes. Yes. We want to stand close to the fire. We want to stand too close to the edge of the cliff and then we're surprised that we get burned or something catches on fire or we fall off and we break up. That's why we have to build walls in our lives to protect ourselves. In fact, one of the ways that you avoid temptation is to pray about it every day. Remember what Jesus, in the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, part of that prayer was about? It was about forgiveness. It was about you know hallowing God's name and and, and making God preeminent in your life. Another part of it had to do with, with whether or not you received your daily bread. Another part of that was, God, help us not to be led into temptation. Temptation's real. Help us. Deliver us from the evil one. And you know, most of the temptations you meet might be made up in your own mind in the sense of, man, I really like this donut and I think I'll pull into Krispy Kreme. Oh, look, the drive-thru is empty. I think I'll go. That's a silly one. But there is there is an evil one who is trying to bring you down. Who is trying to twist your life when God is trying to untwist it. Lead us not into t- temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, avoid temptation. Say that with me. Avoid temptation. Secondly, be accountable. Now, nobody likes that. I know I have a problem with Krispy Kreme donuts. I know I have a problem with with uh, with barbecue. I know I have a problem with uh, with, with ice cream. But I kind of like it, so I'm not going to tell anybody about the problem. We go through our life keeping so many secrets that eat away at the integrity of our discipleship like moths in a flannel suit factory. Be accountable. Do you remember those days when you were becoming an adolescent and you were beginning to come into your own and you were beginning to actualize as as a person, as a self, and you were beginning to recognize the world and kind of coming of age? And during that period of time, you started to hold these secrets. You began to separate yourself a little bit from your parents, and you didn't tell them everything that you knew, or what was going on, or what you were thinking about, or what was happening to you. And some of that stuff wasn't really very good, was it? And yet you kept it as a secret. That secret life during those years is a hard life. And it doesn't get any better the older you get. Avoid temptation and make your be accountable. Find someone or a group of someone's who can help help you stay on the trajectory of godliness. Somebody that can say it looks like you're out of control, and can do it. They can speak the truth into your heart, into your life, and love. So, be accountable. Avoid temptation. Last one, learn discipline. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says something really hard. You know, when you become a disciple of Jesus, as we've been saying, you know, your life is really beginning. It's not called a graduation. It's called a new birth. You're going to grow up into a certain kind of a person. And as a disciple, that certain kind of a person is to look like Jesus. And what he says is that is not an easy life because of the world that we live in. As you know, he talks about picking up our cross. He talks about a way of, of living that sometimes in a world like this is difficult. And so he says to those that want to be his disciple, Matthew chapter 16, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must what's that four-letter word? Deny. Let's say it out, let's just make sure we all know this word. Let's say it together. Deny must deny themselves, and this means taking up their cross and following Him. It's no longer your life, but you are denying those those carnal impulses. You are choosing a life of self-sacrifice, a life of discipline, and a life of following Jesus. Now, we've been talking about the metaphor of a tree. Think about these metaphors that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're done. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, "...I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize?" Run in such a way, that is, run like the one who gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So running, now he changes. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, nor I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Avoid temptation. Don't be your own worst enemy. Avoid, avoid those places. Avoid those websites. Even avoid those people that are temptations for you to be less than a disciple of Jesus. Be a- a- accountable that is, find someone, find a group of someone who can, who can help you to live a life that is honest. We say around here a lot that dysfunctionality, a definition of that is the inability to be honest. Do not live a dysfunctional life and then learn to be disciplined that involves denial. Picking up your cross. You, you know, we, we live in a world where there are so many mixed messages, right? Right? I mean, think about what people think about or they, they see or they hear or what they perceive when they, they look at the church. Sometimes they see something that is really beautiful and sometimes they see something that is not so beautiful. And what the world needs right now are, is a group of people who have just said, you know, I, I am a tree and I'm going to make sure that my roots, my root system is in. The, the ground of of Christ, that I'm, I'm connected to the stream of God and that I'm, I'm not just surviving and I'm just not getting by, but I'm thriving and I'm bearing fruit. And the fruit that I'm bearing is seen, it's visible. This is what's going on inside of me. It is the power of God changing me because I'm cooperating with it and I'm walking with it. And this is what's happening. I'm becoming a person that wills the good of others in love. I'm a person that has joy even when they're suffering because I realize deep down that I need nothing, that everything's been taken care of. It is a sign of a forever healing. I, I, I'm kind. That is love in action. There's a gentleness where my strength is held under control by the Spirit of God. My strength is under God control. I'm patient, that means I'm not just patient for the sake of patience. I'm patient for the sake of other people, their growth, their blessing, their ability to hear the gospel, even though you may have to tell it a thousand times. But in my life, I'm going to be patient and not judgmental. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be faithful. My words can be taken to the bank. And when people begin to see a group of people who live with that kind of rootedness in God, allowing the Spirit to change them, then the gospel will not only be spoken, but the power of the gospel will be seen and made real in front of their eyes. Amen? Let's stand and sing.